The epistle reading is from the book of Romans, chapter 11, and it will serve as the sermon text for today. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments, and how inscrutable are His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been His counselor, or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things, to Him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, and the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Last week, we heard about God's jealousy for us. We heard about God's incredible salvation plan, and we heard his commission to us through his apostle Paul that we should go make people jealous of the great God that we have. This week, we hear Paul's command to live our lives in praise for him and the motivation for why. So now, if if I were in a situation where I was writing sermon notes, this is probably what I'd put at the top of the page, right? That, uh, that today we're going to talk about first, why. Why should we live our lives in praise to him? Second, how we live our lives in praise to him? And third, what does that look like? And that's what we'll meditate on as we leave here this week. First, Why? Why should we live our lives in praise of God? Well, Paul shows us a little bit in what we've talked about so far. The first 11 chapters of Romans are really the reason why. Because God has done some awesome things. He has sent his son into our world to take on our flesh, to die so that we could be forgiven. And in his great wisdom, rather than just killing his son so that he could spend eternity with us, he raises his son from the dead. If we were those sinners who pulled the pin on the grenade that is sin and dropped it to the ground with the consequence of death looming. Jesus is the one who throws his body over it. And beyond any analogy we could have, Jesus doesn't just die for us, but he shows us the wisdom of God and that he rises from the dead. And now he actually lives for us. 
He lived so that we would know him and so that we would spend eternity with him, so that we would live through his life. That's the why. As Paul reflects at the end of chapter 11, he cannot help but pour out praises to this amazing God. Now second, how do we live in praises to God? And one of the things that Paul shows us is it's not a focus on us, but it is a focus on God and who he is. And then he tells us to live our lives as living sacrifices. Now, Pastor Arp shared this quote with us. We're not sure where it comes from, but the problem with a living sacrifice is you put it on the altar and it just keeps crawling off. If it was a dead sacrifice, it would be easy because it's over and done with. But the problem with living our lives as living sacrifices is this is something we have to invest in daily. And it's not something that we do on our own, by our own strength. Because we can't. We don't have enough strength to live as a sacrifice for God, but it's something that is done by the mercies of God there in Romans chapter 12. And and we see this because if we were to sacrifice what was within us, we would come to a limit. Right? We can only live our lives for others so much. And, And it comes to a point where we say, all right, I've been at this service project for a few hours. I'm done. I've got to unplug. It's time for some me time. And we go and we'll plop ourselves down on the couch and put something on the screen, whatever it is, on whatever screen, to distract us and to, to, to make our mind kind of fall into a lull. But that's really a natural way of living. That is, that's not a divine way of living. That's not inspired by the mercies of God. You see, the reality of the words me time in our world are really a twisting of what Sabbath was meant for. That Sabbath rest is not to enjoy me time, it's to enjoy God time. It's to enjoy you time. It's to make sure that we have time to spend with our families and our neighbors and time to spend alone with God. That time is what we are built for. We're not built for me time. We are built for God time. We are built to be living sacrifices. So the beginning of how, how is motivated by the mercies of God. We live as living sacrifices. And that happens in verse 2. By not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewal of our minds. That's one of the reasons it's actually so important for us to come here every Sunday, is because this is where that happens. This is where God is actually transforming our minds, because we crawl in here like caterpillars weighed down by all of the ways we are influenced, by, by our desires being a little bit out of where they should be, by, by wanting selfish things, by, by seeing the ways of this world and wanting the image that this world puts in front of my face of the good life over and over and over again. We crawl in here like caterpillars, but here in the cocoon of the sanctuary, God works in amazing ways. 
And he doesn't work in here just so that you can open up your brains and I can just shove some information in there in the sermon. But he works through every interaction you have in here as you sit with other Christians and share about life. As you come and you turn your attention away from yourself toward God and the way that you praise him. As you hear your identity spoken over you again, the same words that were spoken over you in baptism that you are here in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we confess our sins, we confess that we have sometimes bought into the ways of the world, sometimes been conformed to the world. Well, God speaks the words of forgiveness over us. He teaches us the sins that we didn't even realize we committed sometimes. And he brings us to his supper where he gets to connect us to Christ himself and give that forgiveness to us in a tangible way and then send us back out into the world with all of his blessings. We crawl into this cocoon like caterpillars, but we fly out with transformed minds And to be a living sacrifice means we have to do it all the time. But not only only are we transforming our minds as living sacrifices, but a piece of being a living sacrifice is also what Paul talks about in verse 3. It's this godly humility that he shows us. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment. So that even though you know that you are connected to God again, even though you know that God has sent you out as a butterfly to do his work, to be a living sacrifice, and that is important work that God works through you, to recognize that you're not the only one doing that work. But if we look around in this room, we are just a piece of the body of Christ that's connected together. We shouldn't deceive ourselves to think that we are it, but we should play our role as a sacrificial part of Christ's church. On Monday, I I boarded a flight really early in the morning. I got my son out of bed. He's 15 months old. Got him out of bed at 4 a.m. so that we could get on a plane and go to Baltimore. My brother's mother-in-law passed away suddenly in the night. She was 57 years old, no pre-existing conditions. She went to sleep and didn't wake up. And I thought, I have to be there. I have to be there as Brother Sam, as Pastor Sam. I have to be there for my brother to help him in his time of mourning. And we got there, and I dragged the whole family along with me. And as you might expect, when a 15-month-old wakes up at 4 in the morning and you put him on a plane, and then you put him off of his nap schedule, off of his feeding schedule, he was a little bit grumpy here and there. And I was frustrated. I probably wasn't the best parent I should have been to him. Uh, And so, good solution. My son's a really good eater. We'll just stuff him full of food. So we gave him a lot of food, thought that would make him happy, and it didn't. 
It was probably around 6 o'clock when we realized he's hitting the wall. We've got to give up on this mission. I came thinking I need to be here to be there for my family. And it was around 6 o'clock that my son, because we had fed him so full of food, began to projectile vomit on the carpet of my brother. And my only thought is, this is not what they need. This is not what they need. This is not what they need. And my sister-in-law spoke some, I think, moving words to me. She said, in the moment that your son's vomit was coming out of his mouth, it was the only thing I was thinking about. She told me it was actually the distraction that she needed for that moment, that, that even though I thought he was being a frustration the entire time, it wasn't me, it was him that was the comfort that they needed in that moment. And it came later, and they have good pastors who are reminding them of the promises that they have in Christ, that, that my brother's mother-in-law, is, her death is not something that is permanent, but Christ will raise her from the dead. But in that moment, my role was to bring Simon, to bring comfort. It was a tiny little role. But sometimes our part as a sacrifice in the church is a tiny little role. Sometimes it is a great big role. Sometimes everybody is looking to us to fill that role. But sometimes it's not as big as we once thought. If we keep going, what does that role look like? What does the living sacrifice look like in your life? Because for every one of us in this sanctuary, it looks very differently. Paul tells us, though we, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. He says, let us use the gifts. Let us be the living sacrifices. Not so that by some great thing that we do that we would earn salvation for ourselves or even that we would earn salvation for other people. But just so we would show them a little glimpse of Christ and by that, by that little glimpse of Christ, by whatever amount or portion of grace God has given you, we are saved We are with him forever. You see, the gifts that are given to us don't inspire us to look inside of ourselves and see if we are qualified. It's not about our qualifications. And I think that this is sometimes where where we might get this wrong. And there have been people and there are times when we look at ourselves and say, okay, I have this gift so I should serve in this way. Or I have this passion and I should serve in this way. And a lot of times that's good and, and God uses that. But in the scriptures we see example after example of the grace of God working itself out in circumstances that we shouldn't have expected and definitely wouldn't have on our own. Think about the grace given to Paul. 
If you have your Bible open to this page, he talks about the grace given to me in verse 3. And he tells us what this grace is, actually, what the grace of his part of the sacrifice of the church is in chapter 15. He says, This grace given to me by God is to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of God. Was Paul qualified to be a minister to the Gentiles? If you remember his backstory, this is the same guy that was killing Jewish people for letting Gentiles in. <laughs> this is to make Paul a minister of the Gentiles is really kind of insane from a worldly standpoint. It's like to take a former neo-Nazi after his conversion and tell him to establish a mission to Jewish people. It seems insane. He is not the most qualified person for this role. And let alone his strength. If we were to give Paul a strength, his strength is that he can speak the Old Testament like he's telling his life story. And the Old Testament doesn't matter to the Gentiles. And if we looked at his passion, what we see in his passion, every time he goes to a new town, where's the first place he goes? He goes into the synagogue. Because he told us in, in Romans chapter 11, he told us how passionate he is that his people, the Jewish people, would be saved. And yet it wasn't by looking inside of himself that Paul saw the grace given to him. It's by looking around. Because everywhere he went, Paul got kicked out of the synagogue. And he was left in the street with nobody but Gentiles coming to hear him, just kind of learned that he was the apostle to the Gentiles because of the place that God put him. Now, we're going to go through this list, but before we do, I don't want us to think that, th that finding our part in the church is primarily about looking inside of ourselves. That might be a piece of it, but primarily our role is to look outside of ourselves and see where we're needed. And I think this is a helpful way to do that. Let's put that slide up on the screen. This actually comes from a book called Callings for Life. Uh, to look at that slide that has, there it is, that's the slide. Uh, to look at the places in our life and where in your life, what faces do you see in your life? What places do you see that God has put you in and what spaces or roles are you filling among those faces and places? Our influence in every stage of life is completely unique. No matter where you are, you are, in one situation or another, the, the best Christian, sometimes the only Christian that has a word to bear on that situation that you find yourselves in. If we look at the faces around us, we see the opportunities to serve. If we look at the places we are, we see places where people need to hear the word of God. And if we look at the roles we play, whether it be father, mother, brother, son, or daughter, we're the only ones playing those roles. Which is why Paul tells us to pay attention to the ways we are needed. 
Pay attention to the gift that is given to us, the gift of grace that connects us to God. And if we have that faith in a Christ who saved us, if we believe the why of why we should be a living sacrifice, well, we have We have what it takes, and God will equip us to fill those faces, places, and spaces with Christ. And with that, we look at the list. What are the things that we are called to do in these places? If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, I don't want you to think that that Paul's saying, all right, pick one and that's what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Because for most of us, We have a piece of doing everything on the list he gives us. And for all of us, we have a piece of doing most of these things. Maybe, maybe for you, like me, it's the gift of prophecy. And I'm not saying I have some divine knowledge that I'm going to reveal to you right now, but I do have some divine knowledge from the book that I will reveal to you right now. Right, as pastors, this is our role. We are the New Testament prophets who look back at what God has revealed and talk about how it bears on our present situation. And we do also tell the future. We tell you about Jesus and how he's coming back to judge the living and the dead and he will not judge you according to the deeds you have done. But if you believe in Christ, he judges you according to the deeds he has done and his perfect living sacrifice. That's the gift of prophecy. And maybe there are some in this room that have that gift in larger ways than it has been realized to be able to speak to people, to be able to pursue that kind of ministry of standing up in front of people and telling them about what Christ has done and what Christ will do. Or maybe for you it's service. Maybe it's the way that you serve in your community. Maybe it's giving hours upon hours to volunteer work because you have the extra time. And maybe for you prophecy will only be that small part. As you find yourself at a funeral of one of your own family members who shares that they just wish they had more time. And you could be the prophet that reminds them that if that, was, if that family member is a Christian, you have eternity with that person because Christ will raise them and give them life. Maybe you get to be the prophet to one. Or maybe, maybe you are a successful business person and for you generosity is a big part of the calling that God has given you and you can support your family 10 times over and give 50% of your salary to the church. And yet, even though you may not have all of the time in the world, you find ways to serve as your elderly neighbor needs help bringing the trash can up and back. Or maybe, maybe you find yourself as a teacher who, who gives his life to teaching people about Jesus, who, who spends time leading Bible studies or, or whatever it is. And yet, 
Yet your, your leadership is a small part, but you have an opportunity to lead the people around you. Or, or maybe you're, you don't think of yourself as a teacher at all, and you think of yourself as a zealous person, and I, I will communicate my zeal with a Facebook post here and there, and I'll communicate it out in the world a little bit more strongly. And you might have an opportunity to be a teacher also. As you sit down at the dinner table and one of your brothers or sisters or parents or children are struggling with a God who would let something happen out there in the world and you get to reflect on the cross and how God turns all things for good. You have a peace in the sacrifice that Christ is giving this world through the church. Don't think that, that you are unqualified. Don't think for a second that you, this is too big for you because if, if God can use a puking baby for his kingdom, he can use you. He will use you. So let us give ourselves as living sacrifices to this God because our God gave himself on the cross as a dying sacrifice and ever since then he shows his love for us every day as a living sacrifice because he lives to be with you forever. Now let this peace which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. And as we reflect on that awesome peace of God that he has given us through his son, we also want to reflect on what that means for our lives this week. So we go to our weekly awakening question, and this is one of the things we want you to digest and reflect upon this week. If you have your note sheet, the last page of your note sheet at the very bottom, there's room to write this question down so that you don't forget it because it is complicated and if you don't write it down, you probably will forget it. The question is, how is God leading you into a sacrificial part of his church? How is God leading you into a sacrificial part of his church? And all of this inspired by the God who sacrifices for us.